Luke 12, 4 through 7. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Uh, Father, as we come to these words of Christ, Lord, I pray that we would lean into them as these are words of life. These are revealing words about what you're like, which is the most important thing about us, what we know about you. So God, I pray that you would draw our hearts and minds to you that our faith would grow. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who know me very well or have heard me preach very long, you've probably heard that uh, me talk about anxiety and fear and uh, my struggle with that throughout life. Uh, remembering how I felt as a child through my own children as they discover that they're living in a fallen world, as they're discovering that death can strike at any moment to any person, as they see headlines on the news and ask questions about what's going on in the world, it brings me back to those moments of I just re remember constant mulling over. You know, my dad would leave for work and I would think, is this the last time I'll ever see my father? Those sorts of worries. And I would say it was even more than the normal kid. Uh, something that was... Uh, always a struggle for me. I would hear of a sickness. My mom would talk about such and such sickness, and I would think, surely that's what my sore throat indicates, or that's uh, what I'm gonna, what's going to happen to me. And fear is one of the sad results of sin, that when Adam and Eve sinned, that's when piercing fear and anxiety came into the human race and the human race has been dealing with it ever since and you may be, think you're a person who doesn't deal with it I would ask you to look in maybe you don't fear the same way I do maybe you fear something different maybe you fear considering the fact of whether or not you struggle with anxiety and if you're awesome at trusting in God and clinging to Him. This is a sermon you should lean into because maybe your spouse isn't 
Maybe your children aren't, or maybe your neighbor isn't, or maybe those who are lonely in the nursing home who would love a visitor would need to hear about your God and the hope and trust you have in Him. As I was thinking this week about one of the most difficult times more recently in my life, uh, dealing with fear, uh, was a few years ago, 2016, when I had the opportunity and privilege to go to Africa, to Niger, and uh, spend 11 days there, meet up with uh, uh, Mark Phillips, Mark and Parker Phillips. They've been ministering there for 11 years. And I had met him the previous summer, and here was a missionary that believed in the big God that I believe in, loved uh, the evangelism in the same uh, type of way. Uh, he definitely challenges me more than where, where I was at, but he told me, he asked me, he said, would you consider coming for like 11 days or for a couple weeks and ministering there. And this is after he'd already told me stories about Al-Qaeda and Boko Haram and about uh, several times having, getting, uh, having to get ready to leave the country as high alert uh, uh, was, was put on every American citizen there uh, for different terrorist threats, things like that. And I had a battle in my heart because I had all, I, I really wanted to go f just for the experience of being able to share the gospel with people that have never heard it. But I just had a whole boatload of anxiety and fear and reasons why it did not make sense for me to leave my wife and for children, and in a sense, risk my life uh, to go there. At least that's what it felt. Whether it was risking my life or not, uh, God only knows that, but I can only tell you what I felt. And as, as I considered to go, and I had my theology of God on this side, but I had all my human fears on this side, and I have even people who love me asking me if I'm crazy or whether this is wise, and is your church okay with this? Uh, who are you putting at risk? So it's kind of, this is what I am feeling, but with no good theological reason keeping me from going with the opportunity in front of me and with a friend who is given 11 years there and his family lives there, how could I not be willing to go? And so Troy Hollinsworth, a college student, and I boarded a plane in Sioux Falls in the waiting room. My mom, or Laura calls, my mom called Laura and said, did you hear about the potential terror attack 
on a plane that left Paris and went down in the Mediterranean Sea and my our flights leaving from Sioux Falls to Minneapolis to Paris and we're going to fly over the Mediterranean Sea. <laughs> Just the day before this happens and should you really be going? Is this, I just, this is what your mom's saying. It's like, okay. At that moment, I'm telling you, I'm seeing reality. I don't have control of anything. You get on a plane, you don't have control of the plane, right? We get off the plane. I'm scared to death because we're the only people dressed like we're dressed, not having robes on and turbans on our heads. And the Air France pilot, as we're walking downstairs on what the so-called runway looks like in Niger, says, you guys be careful, was the words he says to us. And then navigating through the airport and having Troy be pulled aside and taken into a room for an hour. And I'm with the guy that Mark sent to get us, but he doesn't speak English. And I'm wondering, I promised this college kid's mom that this was a credible thing and we're going to take care of him. But I can tell you something. When we finally got through that airport and I saw Mark standing there, it was one of the biggest reliefs. Even though I couldn't believe what my eyes were seeing. I could not believe what my eyes were seeing. Donkeys running everywhere. Camels, motorcycles, 12 wide, no lanes of traffic. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. But I was with somebody I trusted. I was with somebody who, need, who seemed to be calm and seemed to know something. And I knew he had lived there for 11 years. And it was my first moment of, okay, this is okay. First day I go with Mark, I feel pretty safe with Mark. Next day I'm with a different translator and I don't feel as good. Things don't seem to be going as well. I remember a guy coming out of a rice field with this little knife, half sword thing that they cut rice down with. And he, did, I, he had no idea what he was doing, I'm sure, but he was tapping it on his hand while we're sharing the gospel in a village that is almost entirely Muslim. And I realized my life is not in my hands <laughs> at, at this moment or really ever. I cannot protect myself. But I can tell you something. I had a weird peace with everything that seemed chaotic, everything that seemed unsecuring. I felt like God was with me and I was supposed to be there. My theology told me that 
no matter what happens, I'll be okay. Now, I'm sure that sounds way more dramatic than what it was in reality, but I'm telling you how Sam Ellison, in my own struggling mind, was experiencing that. There's a psalm, Psalm 9, that says this. Psalm 9, verse 7. It says, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He's established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And then verse 10 says this, and those who know your name put their trust in you. And those who know your name put their trust in you. Here's the reality. If you don't know God, if you don't have a robust understanding of the attributes of God, of the reality of God, of who He is, you will not put your trust in Him. If you have a small view of God, you're going to have a small amount of trust that you anchor into Him. So as I'm trying to help my children who also struggle with worry or fear, I could say things like, you're just going to be fine. That's a, not a realistic fear. Don't think that. Or quit worrying. That's a sin. Worry is a sin. But the only way my children will find hope for their anxiety problem or their worry is if they get a picture of God so robust that when they see Him, they put their trust in Him. There's nothing more important than your view of God and what you think of when you think of God. And in this text, Jesus is discipling the disciples. He's like a father looking at his children, and he's looking at their fears, and he's looking at what's influencing them, and he's warning them not to be deceived by the leaven of the Pharisees. What he's doing is he's saying, hey, hey, I see where you're looking. You're falling into their leaven. You're being led astray. Why are you worrying about them? All as they can do is kill the body. After that, they can't do anything else. And then he grabs their head and he says, I'll tell you who to fear. Fear God. He's the one that kills the body. And after that, he has authority to send a person into hell. So th they were looking at one fear, those who can kill the body. And in doing that, they were taking their eyes off God. Mankind has a much bigger problem than just the fact that we could die physically. 
It's that when we die, we will face God. We will face Him. And He says, look to God. Fear Him. He could send you your soul into hell. And then immediately, He lays down the justice of God, but He lays down the love of God, the care of God immediately. He wants His disciples to put all their hope in God who, yes, can send a person to hell, but who loves you and who cares for you. And He directs their gaze to God the Father. To destroy the lie of the leaven of the Pharisees, He points them to the Trinity. The fullness of this section is he points to the Father first, then he points them to the Son, and then he points them to the Holy Spirit. And he says the way you get away from hypocrisy is you come to the Trinitarian God of the Bible, who God in His love sent His Son to die on your behalf, to pay the price for your sins, but you've rejected Him. You've rejected God. You've rejected the Son. But the Holy Spirit, the Revealer, comes and He can change your heart. He can give you eyes to see. He can give you a mind to understand. And that is the hope of every believer. Today we're going to consider verses 6 and 7. God's care for us. The Father's care for us. Jesus, right after He tells them, but I warn you whom to fear, fear Him who after He is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear Him. And then the very next verse is, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Don't fear them. Fear God. Fear not is the progression of what Christ is saying. Matthew's parallel to this, Matthew 10.29 says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? So there you, there you have the intimacy of God. Luke points to God. Matthew highlights Father, the idea here is the most cheap things in the world, you can buy two sparrows for a penny. Not one of them. It's like Jesus thinks of the most obscure, insignificant thing in the entire world. A sparrow sitting on a branch in the middle of a forest with no one taking no notice, no one around cares. And he says, not one of them 
escapes your father's notice. And then he follows that illustration up with why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So God cares about the details of this world. He feeds all the animals. He knows when everyone dies. Every one of the sparrows that dies is ordained by God. And then he zooms in and he says, you want to know how small details God cares about your life? Does anyone care to know how many numbers are on your head? God does. God knows. God cares. I know I'm could crack a joke right now that he didn't, might not seem to care for some people if you don't have as much hair. But God knows. God knows the smallest detail of our lives. And that's not how your heart, that's not what your heart tells you though when you're in tough times. That's not what Satan would tell you when things are difficult. God must be sleeping. God must not know what's going on here. God must not have control of the circumstances in my life in light of this or in light of that. But yet, all throughout the Scripture, we see that God cares about the details. Matthew 12, 12 says of how much more value is man than a sheep? How much more value does a man have than a sheep? In light of God's detailed care for our lives, he says, fear not. (laughs) Don't fear. If the all-knowing God, which we've already looked at, the all-powerful God who has the power to judge eternally, cares for you, values you, fear not. Don't fear. If you have your Bibles... I want you to turn to Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. We're going to look at a little bit of an extended version of this same sort of teaching that Jesus gives. God cares for you down to the smallest details. Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. So as Americans, that might seem weird for most people in the world. They have to worry about where their next meal's coming from, or for many people, I should say, in the world. They have to worry about how long their clothing is going to last. And then he says, is not life more than food in the body, more than clothing? And then in verse 30, we're going to skip ahead a little bit. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, 
Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? If God cares about the grass, if he, doesn't, if he clothes them with beauty, how much more is he going to give you clothes is the point. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. If only we believe that statement, that your heavenly Father knows. He knows your life. He knows the details of your life, and he knows what you need. He knows. And then he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus doesn't say, your days are going to be easy. He says, no, every day has trouble. But God knows and God rewards those who seek him and he will be there for you. God knows about today. His grace is going to be there tomorrow. Did you know that when we worry, when a person has anxiety, there's an important hormone in our body that uh, secretes uh, uh, by the adrenal glands into our body and affects the way we feel, uh, an ulcer that a person gets. Someone who uh, is anxious can get a stomach ache. You can have stomach problems from incredible worry. But the interesting thing about this uh, thing called cortisol, this important hormone in the body, is that it produces energy. It produces a heightened amount of care that's meant to be spent. It's meant to get us acting on whatever it is in front of us. But if a person just sits there, if a person just sits there, and, and this is being pumped into your body, and no action's taken, nothing's being done, and it can actually cause physical problems. God wants you to be faithful with your day today. You have responsibilities today. You have things, uh, ways to glorify God today. God gave you enough grace for today, for the trouble of today, God knows, but what he hasn't done is he hasn't given you the grace for tomorrow or the next day or the next day or the next day. And that's what sinful worry does. It sits there today and paralyzes a person today. There's too much on my plate. There's too much hanging over my head. I don't even know where to start. I don't even know what to do. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to worry. And it's not healthy physically and it's not healthy spiritually. And Jesus told us. Isn't it amazing how practical the Bible is? How practical Christ's words are? 
God knows. God even knows today's hard. But you don't need to worry about it. You need to trust in a sovereign God who is in control over the details of your life. I have uh, several verses to go to. We're just going to go to Psalm 50 here, though. Uh, Or actually, go to Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46, starting in verse 1. And we're going to look at the extent of God's care over not only the hairs of your head, but over the whole universe. Because a person could say, well, God might care for me, but look at all these other people that can hurt me. Is he in control of them? Is evil under his sovereignty? Isaiah writing to Israel, who has thrust their hope in idols, they've tried to build their security on idols, he mocks them, two different idols, Bel and Nebo, which would be idols made out of metal. He says, Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on heavy beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but they themselves go into captivity. Here's what he says. You put your hope in these heavy idols who who when you move them, you have to put them on livestock and it's a burden on their backs. He's saying that's where your hope is sunk in these gods, so-called gods, who can't save the burden, but are a burden. And then what he says in in verse 3, he says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth. He says, listen, (laughs) I'm the one who made you exist and I knew you before you were even born. Your life didn't start when you were born. Your life started before that. Psalm 139 tells us before there was ever a day, God knew every one of our days. And so he says, uh, listen to me, O house of Israel, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from your birth, carried from the womb. Now listen to what, what Isaiah is saying about God. Before you were ever born, God was considering the details of your life, and he was carrying you. Yes, you grew up and started believing that you were carrying yourself, but before you could think, God was carrying you. You see the juxtaposition? Your idols are burdens on beast, but the true God carries. He's the one that bears up. And then what does he say? He says, even to your old age, I am he, and to his gray hairs, 
I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. He's the one who does it. And then look at the end of verse 8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. So now the living God is going to come on display. And here's what he says. I am God. Or, or he says, remember, remember the former things of old, for I am God. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me. Well, what's he like? Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all of my purpose. He says, I'm the true God. What's the true God like? He declares the beginning from the end. Not just the end results, but the doings. Things not yet done. There's nothing out of control with God. He's sovereign over everything, over all of it. You see, when we step into the shoes of, I'm going to be God, I'm going to protect my life, I'm going to make myself feel secure. I'm going to figure out how I'm not going to worry again. It's crazy because he started taking care of us before we could ever think, before we could ever do anything ourselves. And so we have such an inflated view so often, at least I do, of that I'm in control of my life. That I can, if I do this just right, I'll keep all my kids healthy and I'll keep them safe and I'll make sure nothing bad happens. Yes, I'm given responsibility that I'm going to be held accountable for. Yes, I'm supposed to care for my children. But am I to step into God's shoes and keep their hearts beating? Can I do that? No. Can I control the actions of someone else? I can't do that. Can I, can I do this, 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 this? So often, the most comforting thing to remember is, I'm not God, and He is, and I'm not smart. His ways are higher than my ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth are God's ways higher than my ways. So if I can't calculate all this out, why would I think I would be able to in the first place? But if I know God's good, and if I know He cares for me and He knows what I need, and then he says, he goes on, declaring the end from the beginning in ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, I will accomplish all my purpose, calling the bird of prey from the east, a hawk, and the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, I'll bring it to pass, I have purposed, and I will do it. That's who God is, the most a bird. Yep, I declared that. The prophet. Everyone would say God declared that. He says both ends of the spectrum. I'm the one who declares them. I'm your God. I'm the one who carries you. Israel, are you crazy? You're sinking your hope in these idols when this is who I am? Same thing Jesus is teaching his disciples. You're looking at those Pharisees. You're worried about getting kicked out of the synagogue. You're worried about them killing your life. And you have no idea who's with you. 
and you've forgotten who God is. And he's turning their heads and he's saying, God's not just big. God's just not um, omniscient. He's not just strong, but he cares for you. If you believe in a God like that, you will put your trust in Him. And when you don't put your trust in Him, you track back your thinking and you're forgetting that God. And you're placing something else in its place. Turn with me to Mark 4. Verse 35, Mark 4, verse 35. We're going to, sometimes the best illustrations are found not in the preacher's life stories, but within Scripture themselves. So Mark 4, verse 35, here's what we read. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, his disciples, let us go across to the other side. All right. This was Jesus' idea. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the, in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now, we don't live by the ocean. I don't know how many of you have been on a boat in a big body of water. The Sea of Galilee is actually a big lake. But it, the waves there get huge and the storms there were fierce because of the geography and the way storms would build. And it's just uh, forever been known for uh, uh, horrible storms. And I just had a, just a couple weeks ago out on Lake Oahe on a windy day, uh, deer hunting out there in my brother's average size boat. It was not fun for 20 minutes trying to get back to our campsite. <laughs> and I knew where my life jacket was. And I was thinking about this story because I'm sure what I was experiencing was small. Uh, I heard one preacher said, imagine you're wearing a wool robe in a boat with waves crashing in. It's probably tough to swim in a wool robe. But the fear, the amount of fear that a person would, in a sense, naturally have in this situation. But he was, uh, the boat was filling, but he was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, and here's the key point, of what I want to point out. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You told us to go to the other side. The storm is overtaking our boat right now and you're sleeping. And so the only conclusion here is you must not care that we are perishing. Their view of Christ, at this point in time at least, was not big enough. 
And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? To which anyone would say, Is Jesus out of his mind? Is Jesus crazy? Would any sane person on the face of the earth in the midst of that scary situation say, why are you so afraid? Uh, duh, we were about drowning. We, this is a scary situation that anyone would be terrified in. And yet Jesus wasn't joking. Jesus knew something that they didn't know. He knew who he was and he knows who his father is. And so you can brush this off if you want and say, get real, we're all human. But this is how Jesus talked to his disciples. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And then their fear goes up more. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is this then that even the wind and the waves obey him? They're discovering that Jesus is in control of even the details of the water and the waves and the storm. And their fear was there because that wasn't in their conception. I would argue at the end of their lives, in the midst of a storm, they would have more courage as they begin to discover the power in which Christ had over all things. So, God's care for us secures us. I want to close in Romans 8. Someone might say, well, God cares about the details of my life, but tell me more about that. If you want to fill out the comfort Jesus is trying to give his disciples, I don't know a better place to go than Romans 8. We're going to start in verse 26. And here's what it says. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. Well, what if I get in a situation I don't even know what to pray? I don't even know what to say. Well, the Holy Spirit will pray perfect prayers for you when you don't even know what to say. And then he goes on. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Who here wants to pray according to the will of God? I do. Sometimes I don't know what to say. The Holy Spirit prays my prayer for me according to the will of God. And then we get this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. 
And he's not thinking of easy things and nice things. But he's saying for the Christian, every hard day, every good day is working for your good in Christ. And someone might say, well, how could that be? Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew set his love on beforehand, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. What good is it that God has for you? If he's going to work all things together for good, it's that you be conformed into the image of God and into the image of Christ. And he began doing that before you were born. And if God began doing that before you were born, then he can keep the promise that all the details of your life are going to work that way. And then look at verse 31. Here's where it just goes off the charts. Here's what I show my children all the time. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? They answer, well, if God's for us, no one can be against us. Amen. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God gave you the most valuable thing he has, his own son, how, how can you ever think that God's not going to work good for you in the good times and the bad times? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Maybe you're thinking, well, maybe I won't be saved. Maybe God won't save me. It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. <laughs> what if I don't make it? God's the one that decides. He's the judge. He sent the son. The son died on your behalf. Who, who is raised? Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ, the one who died more than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That's in the present tense. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God, praying constantly for you interceding for you. I don't know if you know that. It's comforting when our friends pray for us. It's comforting when Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God and he's continually interceding on our behalf. And we're tempted to forget who God is and who Jesus is. And then he ends, I love this end. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake all day long, we are regarded as sheep, or, or we are being killed all day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. People in the midst of the worst circumstances of life are like victorious kings in conquerors. How? Because they know Christ's love for them. That's what it says. Through his love for us. When we know he cares for us, we can conquer fear. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord.
I'm sorry, but you can't worry about something that's not in that list. Life or death, things present, things come. It encompasses all of it. And you cannot be separated, Christian, from the love of God. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the only way you live. If you don't know God loves you, if you don't know he's good, if you don't know he's sovereign, then you're going to have your anchor in somewhere else. And my prayer is, is that your head is turned by Christ, that we let Christ disciple us, and that we put our hope in him. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we have, need to have no fear of condemnation. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We no longer need to fear death, for Christ is raised. We no longer need to fear being separated from you, for you promised you'll never leave us or forsake us. And you care about the details of our life. Lord, help us remind each other of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.